Welcome to Dissecting Education, where we take a spherical look at the education landscape from many vantage points. We're your hosts, Melanie Hicks and Rachel Jones. We're excited you're here with us. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Dissecting Education. We are so excited today. We are here with Holly Owens. She is a senior instructional designer with Academic Partnerships. She has over 15 years of experience in education in various roles, including high school educator, instructional technologist, and podcast host. She has taught both undergraduate and graduate courses in education and instructional design, and has a BA in American Studies from the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Two master's degrees, one in instructional technology and another in distance learning from the University of Maryland Global. And she's currently pursuing her doctorate in education administration and leadership with Toro University in Nevada. She hopes to graduate in the spring of 2022. She has a deep passion for online learning and the opportunities this modality brings to students and around the world. And her podcast, Ed Up Ed Tech, is a go-to resource to stay updated with the latest and greatest ed tech tools that are disrupting education today. Welcome, we're so excited to have you here. Hello, we're so excited to have you here. Um, start by telling us a little bit more about you, things we didn't just hear in your bio. Awesome, so a lot of my bio has to do with my education background. I think a couple things people don't know about me is I really love sports and pop culture. Um, so beyond just the love of education, um, those kind of mindless things that I just enjoy doing, like I love college football, Virginia Tech, Coastal Carolina, cause I'm, I live in South Carolina and then pop culture. It's so weird what sort of information you retain. Um, so pop culture is one of those things like I could do a trivia night and I'd probably be really good um, at that. But education is is my passion. So I, you know, starting out my career as a high school teacher and now being in the instructional design game for quite a bit now, um, you know, it really just, it, it, it's amazing. Um, all the stuff that I've gotten to do over the past 15 years in education. Well, that is awesome. We, you, uh, you share my passion for, for sports as well, or I share your passion for sports. I'm <laughs> an enormous football fan. I, uh, my mom actually gave me the love of football and I went to my first college football game. We had season tickets to her alma mater and I went to my first game at about six months old and all the way through high school. And then I went off to college and, and had my own teams, but, uh, that's but, awesome. Oh, oh my goodness. It's I love so it. much fun. It's such an experience. I recommend anybody, any college football team, especially the D1 schools, mm -hmm. just go to a game. Even if you're not a sports fan, we recently went to Virginia Tech mm -hmm. and the Enter Sandman part of, you know, them coming out of the tunnel yes. is just crazy. Like it's electrifying. So, you know, definitely. I'm so glad to hear that. Oh, I love it so much. I'm actually, uh, going this weekend, we're having a girls family girls weekend to go see a football game because one of my nieces goes to uh, Mississippi state and my mom's alma mater is Auburn and they're playing each other. And so the, oh, there's that's going to be fun. That's yeah. going to be a lot of fun. All women, five women going to, to see a game and uh, having an in, in family rivalry. So it's going to be a lot of fun, but yeah, that's going to be great. So tell us about um, your work in instructional design. Um, how did you get interested in that field specifically? And, and what do you think is really kind of the most exciting part of that? Well, it kind of evolved from 
um, teaching and educational technology. So the podcast that I host, the Ed Up Ed Tech podcast, like Ed Tech started instructional design for me. Mm -hmm. um, when I first stepped into my school at the mere age of like high school at 25, starting out teaching, um, my principal was like, you're going to be the ed tech person and you're going to do this grant with the state. And I got a pair of CPS clickers, which don't exist anymore, and a smart board in my classroom. So that evolved to me like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. I can do different things with my students. They can take a test using a clicker. And then in between, you know, breaks on the bell schedule, I can transition the grades from the system into my grade book. So as I started to learn these technologies, people started to recognize that. And then eventually I was doing trainings within my school and then at the board. Um, and then eventually I just left education because I fell in love with this idea of like training others how to use ed tech and, you know, develop their courses. So I went to e-learning for a hot minute and then uh, transitioned into higher ed in 2012 as an instructional technology specialist. So instructional technology, and I talk about this with my students in instructional design, they overlap quite a bit. Um, I think the main difference is instructional technology is really knowing the techie, the back end of the systems, whereas instructional design is more about the pedagogy of like designing the course itself and the technology, you know, comes secondary to that. So Really, it's just, you know, I, I, throughout my career, I've been at different institutions. I've taught at community colleges. I've worked at community college four-year, D1, R1, whatever you want to. Um, I've worked at them all. And just seeing the different types of ways people implement the instructional design process and the expectations that they have for faculty who we know are subject matter experts and not pedagogically trained um, is really interesting. So over the years, I've kind of been reflecting on that. Yeah, it's a really interesting um, overlap, too, because all of those pieces are very important, right? The, the subject matter expertise, the pedagogy, the and then the technology side of it, right? Understanding the back end, but they're all very different skill sets. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, how do you see kind of how you bring, bring those different skill sets together to actually, how do you communicate? I used to work um, in advocacy and I used to call myself, or I was, my colleague called me the translator because I could translate kind of academic speak and academic statistics and, and data into kind of policy and legislative. And it, it was like translating two different languages, right? Yes. <laughs> I imagine, you know, in my mind, this is also kind of three different languages trying to, to come together. It is. It's really hard to translate to the faculty the importance of pedag pedagogy in their methods. It's not something that they that they necessarily, not that they don't value it, but it's not something that is like a part of what they're training they experience they were trained in their subject matter so they're very passionate about that i think one thing is the buy-in um, that you have to get when you're having these conversations and i think developing um, a level of trust with the subject matter expert is is like key right off the bat is getting to know them who they are what they're passionate about learning to, you know even though i'm not the subject matter expert every time that i work with faculty i learn some of their content i'm not saying like i'm going to be an expert in their area but i learn you know like organizational leadership or you know nursing some whoever i've i've worked with throughout the years so i say that trust is definitely a big a big piece of that and having that empathy in the relationship between 
like they weren't trained to teach they were trained to be a chemist or be a biologist so you know i think one of the things that helps me relate to the faculty is that i tell them i'm also a faculty too um, and that really gets them listening and we share ideas about what we're doing in our courses and that's one of the things i love about instructional design because it opens up those conversations of across curriculums and subject matters that normally wouldn't happen because they know I teach instructional design and right. then they teach whatever they teach. And we just, we can, we have conversations about activities that could be implemented in both areas. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's really powerful. I love the fact that you use the word empathy because I really do think that the, the core, um, and you also use the word trust, the core to any good communication and any collaboration, right, is, is trust and empathy, putting yourself in the shoes of, of and through the best you can, looking through the lens of someone else. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that in itself is the foundation that builds the trust, that then you can have good quality conversations. You can even disagree about things and you can Absolutely. learn stuff from each other. But without yeah. the trust there, it becomes a toxic disagreement, right? With trust, it becomes yeah. a healthy disagreement. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And those those challenging faculty, they have to have the moments, the epiphanies by themselves. They'll figure it out at a certain point. And they come back to me and say, OK, now I'm ready for the support that you were offering me initially. So, you know, it's really like you said, it's about the trust and the empathy. And, you know, in education, everything that we do, whether it's K through 12 or in higher ed or, you know, workforce development, it's about the learners. So, besides our own morals and the values and things that we believe education to be, the learners are at the center of it. And that's what we have to keep in mind when we're doing these types of things. Sure. Absolutely. What are, what are some tips to, uh, for someone who, you know, kind of wants to do better for faculty members, for example, who want to do better at, um, or grow their own skill set at reaching students from a, you know, using technology, what are, what are some tips? Where would they start? What if they want to yeah. kind of upgrade their skills? Where's the first thing? Because it's it's a chaotic field to know where to where to dive it in. It is because it's 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 just so much. It's mm -hmm. like sorting through the clutter of and now you know post COVID, like all the resources that are available to them. Where do you start? So I say for the faculty. Um, at your institution, start with your instructional design team or your instructional technology team and see what they offer in-house. What type of support do they give? What resources? Because a lot of institutions have built now, if they didn't have it pre-COVID, they have those help sites. See what's out there. Also, I think it's important that while you're doing that, maybe simultaneously is reflecting upon your own teaching practices that you've been, you've been in the same routine the past 10 years, the past five years, reflect on what you've been doing and maybe review some of those student evaluations and see what they said. Um, because you can take that with you to the instructional design team and say, okay, this is what my students have been saying. They've said this multiple times. I, I want to correct this or I want to find a better way to do set activity or make it more engaging. So I really think it's important that you can be, be mature enough to take it upon yourself to reflect on what you've been doing and understand that the generation that we're teaching now is not the generation we were teaching 10 years ago. So I think that's step one, the reflection and asking for help um, for the faculty. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. So switching gears just a little bit, um, tell me what, 
uh, how you see kind of the world, the new norms or the world changing post-COVID. What's staying, what's going? We all, um, I think, are familiar with with the idea of crisis schooling and how everyone just, you know, hunkered down and did the best they could um, in most cases anyway. Uh, and, but where, where do you see things kind of permanently sticking? I think that online is here to stay, whether people like it or not. I know that people want to, I know we all want to go back to in person, but that's not going to happen. We, there's obviously a high demand for online learning. And that's something that whether you're a brick and mortar institution or you're a fully online institution, whatever, you have to keep up with the times. Like online is not going anywhere. It's something that has served its purpose for us for COVID. Um, and I wanna make sure that pe people distinguish between what is remote learning and what is online education. Remote learning is kind of that quickly throwing up the resources, you know, communicating through Zoom, having those synchronous sessions, um, you know, that was quick, quick and, you know, get, get it done. That's the solution. Online learning takes a lot more thought. Right. Online education takes more thought, more pedagogy, more theory and more practice put into that. So we're trying to transition people now that we're, you know, almost two years in, you know, to COVID and getting them to understand that there has to be some sort of meaning put behind what you're doing in the online space. So I definitely think there's that and there's, you know, on the technology aspect of that, we're looking at AI tools, augmented reality, virtual reality that are sitting right on the cusp of education. And, you know, traditionally education has taken a while to catch up, Yes. but these yes. things are going to disturb our environment in the next five to 10 years. Like we're going to be avatars or we're going to, you know, we're going to be in rooms with, you know, classrooms, but they're going to be virtual spaces, but we're going to be interacting as if we were sitting in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think from a pedagogical perspective is just making sure that you know that online is not going anywhere and try to do your best to keep up with what's happening um, and making your programs better quality, whether that's through a QR rubric or that's through some implementation of your own internal um, QA, but also learning about the technologies that are coming down the line because some of them are pretty amazing um, and being open-minded to that change. Absolutely. So what lights you up about things that you see coming down? That was a perfect softball there to my next question. Yeah, yeah. For, for the things that you see coming down the pipe, what are the things that you feel like are, you know, with every technology, there is, uh, you know, the things that, that will be cool for a little bit, but probably not stick. And then the things that will really kind of revolutionize or, or even disrupt uh, what we're doing. So what do you see that, that really lights you up? Yeah, the virtual, the VR and the AR are lighting me up. I mean, the AI stuff. And I know that we're concerned about, you know, I want to address the concern, the elephant in the room about it, replacing teachers, that's not going to happen in, yeah. from my perspective. So those things, those automated things that, that free us up from, you know, the tasks that are like maybe some grading stuff or maybe answering student questions, um, those things are free up our time and then allow us to sit in the creative mindset that we need to be great instructors. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that are lighting me up in terms of what's coming down the line. And I love the fact that these, these technologies are not just thinking about like the shiny you know, piece of it. They're really thinking about uh, the accessibility piece of it too. Like, I know there's a lot of talk about the education gap. 
um, the learning gap since COVID has happened with people having access to the web, you know, and different doing different things where people get access, you know, from their homes, from their phones. Um, I think it's those are the things I want to see how that's all going to fit into what we do. I can't necessarily predict that yet once I see it happen, but I know that's one area in education that has experienced that is the conferences. Mm -hmm. So the professional development opportunities, and I can't think of the conference offer right now, but you're like in a little town. It looks like Zelda. Uh -huh. uh, it's like something yeah. town. I can't remember the name. It escapes me, but it's so cool because you go in and it's like, okay, the presentation is up on the screen and then you can go to your like breakout rooms or you have your little chats and the poster presentations. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's going to be really neat for students and, you know, take the kind of meeting them where they're at in terms of the gamified piece, like what they're already doing on their gaming system. So that kind of stuff where it's going to allow ease of use, maybe increase accessibility in terms of who gets access, but also thinking about universal design for learning. Those are the things that I'm really interested in seeing how it's going to impact education. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about these kind of things too. And I got just uh, a, a quick taste of some of that, some of that conference technology and being able to, for people to walk, kind of have their avatar walk into a room and select from different, you know, kind of posters and, and it pulls it up on the screen and you read it. And it's just so much more fun than just kind of clicking through a website and clicking on a link and getting a PowerPoint and whatever it's. Yeah. Or a video. It's like, Oh, I don't want to watch a video. I want to see it live. I know. Right. I, I just, um, I love that so much. And also, you know, to your point about online, um, a really good point about, uh, on the difference between online learning and, and just, uh, Emergency remote teaching. Yes, emergency remote, right. Something like that. There, pick a name. It pick, was yeah, any, because there is <laughs> such a difference when it is, if you've ever taken a really quality with just great pedagogy and great thought put into it, it is interactive. It is uh, enhancing. It's, it's so much more than just getting on a Zoom and having someone lecture to you in a virtual format, right? I mean, mm -hmm. this is truly um, uh, a really engaging experience. And I think that is, that's the key to really wonderful remote learning. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited about those opportunities as well. I'm excited that we are, you know, we were, education is kind of the dinosaur that, that is slow, slow moving um, or the giant, you know, the giant tanker truck or tanker ship that moves very slowly to get turned. But, but because of this, you know, the silver lining in the pandemic is, is in a lot of ways, we have been forced to think out of the box um, and realize that doing it in a, in a not so quality way isn't meaningful, um, but that the possibilities for doing it quality is, is the, are there, right? Right. Yeah, right. So definitely. By proxy of, or by, by proxy of that, I guess, um, the, what is the opposite? What do you see that gives you heartburn about what, what is happening in, in kind of ed tech or whatever that, that maybe isn't going with every technology, right? There is a pro and a con. Uh, yeah, definitely. So, so what are some of the, the things that you see are the challenges that, that give you a little heartburn? I think the, the one thing that bothers me the most is when it's accessibility in mind. Accessibility is huge and it's something we need to be proactive about. I don't think every time I, I've caught myself today, like sending an email and I just put in the hyperlink. I'm like, no, you need to have it associated with something like the wording, what explains what it is. You know, that's become a part of 
what you need to do in the class. Like these things need to become second nature. So seeing a technology that's not accessible, doesn't have accessibility standards, that really gets me upset. Like this should be considered first because why are you developing a tool that is that's discriminating against a certain group or that's not allowing everybody to have access. It needs to be intuitive. It needs to have the, the contrast display. You know, a screen reader needs to be able to access it. So I think that's one thing and that happens in instructional design and ed tech a lot is that you're not designing with the accessibility in mind. Um, I think some other things um, are the resistance, the resistance to what's happening in the 21st century. We're two, well, two decades into the 21st century, and I'm, I'm still not understanding the resistance to new ideas um, when it comes to faculty or higher education. Um, K through 12 is a little bit different. Um, they're pretty open to new things uh, usually, but higher education in itself, it's based on traditionalist views and how, how it all started. So it really bothers me that we're in 2021, we have Gen Z on the map, we have Generation Alpha being born um, and coming into our classrooms and we're just not adapting to what they need or what their you know their experiences have been throughout K through 12. So people that resist really throw me for I'm perplexed by it. Um, I want I have conversations with them and I try to understand, but it's something I still struggle with in my work. And especially being an ed tech lover, I'm like, why wouldn't you want to make your life easier? You know, especially if it's something streamlined for you, but on the back end of that, why wouldn't you want to have something that engages your students. It just doesn't doesn't make too much sense to me because it maybe it takes a little bit of time on the front end with the learning curve to learn it. That's the only thing I can think of is, is the time is a finite resource. So it does consume a bit of that, but on the back end, you're really saving time. I, I think that's one thing I will never understand. I will never understand the resistance because I'm so open to these new experiences. Yeah, it's amazing, you know, really, there are kind of two types of people, right? There is, well, really three, there's the early adopters who are up for anything. And then there's the middle adopters who are, they're up for it. They're just, they just want to make sure that it's worth their time and then it sticks. And then you really have the resistance, right? And it yeah. is, it's challenging. Um, you know, I served as an assistant provost at um, a, a mid-sized university. And one of the most fun things I got to do was be a special projects director across campus for all kinds of different things from including technology implementation uh, and, you know, kind of committees and sustainability and environmental and all kinds of different things I got to do across campus. But you saw all three of those very, uh, very strong opinions <laughs> about, yep. about any of it, but, but particularly around anything that changes the way that you do the work that you do, right? Mm -hmm. And faculty members are some, can be some of the most uh, kind of dig in their heels about, I've always done it this way. But the truth is, you know, we have a, across the country, we have a significantly older faculty population um, yes. than ever before because they're still, they're staying in their jobs. They're not they're retired. And, yeah. They're tenured, right? And the absence of innovation for those really changes the college student experience. And it's only, I guess, more rapidly amplified because of the technology that these students have always had. I mean, even pre-crisis, right? Right, exactly, exactly. I just think the, the crisis manifests that and that the faculty, the older faculty, they're brilliant. They are brilliant minds. Mm -hmm. They just need to, they need to either figure out how to 
put a couple things into their their repertoire for teaching or they just need to move on. I don't I don't want to say that they need to retire, but I'm just going to say they need to move on to something that where their expertise is going to be used for a greater purpose, like education might not be that sector for them anymore. Um, but yeah, it's just the faculty, I, I love all of them. They're super, they're so brilliant and so intelligent in their subject matter. And I can listen to some of them talk about their subjects all day long, yeah. but the students are not going to do that. I'm from, yeah. a we're from a different generation. Yes. We would yes. listen to them do that, but the, the students nowadays are not. So I th think that the resistors, Eventually, they're going to be weeded out, um, you know, either through the fact that the students are going to give them bad reviews um, on their courses or they just, you know, they're just getting older and they are at the age where they retire. Um, I'm interested to see in like the next 10 years when baby boomers, um, you know, like become like almost obsolete, not necessarily obsolete, but in the industry, they're going to, they're starting to retire. Right. So I'm happens when you know gen xers and millennials are dominating the workforce yeah yeah i i do think we're going to see a pretty severe shift and it's funny gen x is so small relatively speaking to the two um generations that flank it that i wonder sometimes if, if any gen x will even rise to be noted <laughs> any trends i should say yeah, or, yeah. or if they'll just get melded into the millennials because that's uh, such a big a big group coming after but so I ask this of every guest, I am uh, totally switching gears, but tell us um, an education memory, some point in time that stuck with you for, for a long time, something that was really impactful for you. Yeah, I think one is in elementary school. Um, my, at my elementary school, they, I have a twin sister, so I'll preface it with that. I have a twin sister who's very intelligent. She works in financial aid and in higher education. She works for um, a company that helps with that. And they were putting her in a regular fourth grade class and they wanted to put me in a three, four split because they thought that I wasn't, I wasn't excelling enough. So they wanted to put me in a class where maybe I could still get gain some more skills in terms of what I needed to learn in third grade and the fourth grade. And my mom, my grand, my mom and my grandparents were like, no, that's not happening. You're not putting her in a three, four split. She's going to go into a regular fourth grade, grade classroom. So maybe it was kind of a special ed situation. I don't, I don't recall because um, mm -hmm. I was so young at the time, but I did get put into a regular fourth grade classroom. And my teacher was the most, I still remember her. Like my teacher was the most amazing teacher. She had, she had all kinds of students in that class, high level, low level in between students with learning disabilities that weren't even like considered learning disabilities at the time or even talked about in, in a certain way. Cause I went to school in the, in the nineties in elementary school. Um, but it's just, you know, that was probably my biggest education memory. And that stuck with me because I think about the struggling learner. I think about the person, like people will say, Holly, you're brilliant. How do you know all this stuff? How do you know a tech? I'm, I'm like, you don't even know the struggle. You have no idea how long it took me to get to this point. I don't even think when I hit college that I had, my mind had turned on to those higher order thinking skills, like mm -hmm. critical thinking, analyzation, synthesis, like it took me probably a good two years in college before that stuff actually started to gain traction and turn on in my brain because I just needed to practice and I just needed to keep doing things over and over again. So that situation and just, you know, going through my educational journey where I'm almost, I'm ABD, 
I'm almost at the end of it for oh, in so terms close, of so close. <laughs> so close. Um, I think I consider the struggling learner. And I think that's why I'm so um, passionate about universal design for learning accessibility and using technology to help learners and not seeing it as something that's like a, a barrier, you know, just always wanting to help. Right. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah. I, you know, it is for those of us who are kind of educators at heart, right? The struggling learner is where our heart goes first. Mm -hmm. We love the kids who excel. We love those that are fired up and, and top of their class and super motivated and, and, you know, super uh, just, you know, enriched, uh, you know, filled with an enrichment, but uh, there's always the struggling learner that you just, you, you know, that there's something special in them and to be really empathetic and, and have that as kind of part of your core DNA is really special. Definitely. You just have to tap into the, like, you have to, you have to be patient enough to really reach the potential. Yeah. And that person was patient enough for me to reach the potential. And that's what you have to do. It doesn't matter what level. I think we forget that we, we focus a lot of attention on these elementary, middle school and high school students. And it kind of goes away as you matriculate through the different levels. We have to give just as much attention to the younger kids as we do to the adult learners, because yeah. they are still the same they still learn the same. They're just, they're just older. I feel like we're, we're kids in adult bodies, but we still, we have the same learning preferences and we're still learning the same thought. So I feel like that's something too, that higher education in general struggles with is they think that, you know, students come in and learners are supposed to be autonomous. Like they're just supposed to do it on their own without anything. Like that's not going to happen. Not going to happen. No. Well, as we start to wrap up here, um, tell us a little bit about your podcast. You mentioned it earlier. Uh, yeah. Tell us more about that and also how people could get in touch with you if they want to know more about the, the cool work you're doing or <laughs> interested in, in uh, lobbying to be a guest on your podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. So my podcast is Ed Up Ed Tech, and it's a part of the Ed Up Experience Network. Um, if you just type in Ed Up Ed Tech or go to Ed Up, the Ed Up Experience page, it's linked from there. Um, the podcast is all about educational technology. So educational technology in the traditional sense of things used in a classroom, like the clickers or smart boards, that sort of stuff, but also the external things that are on the peripheral of education that help, you know, manage our systems, learning management systems, CRMs. So I have a variety of different guests on the show. Um, I don't limit strictly ed tech in the classroom because there's a lot of things that are, that sit on the outside that impact what is happening in the classroom and it's all different k through 12 a lot of it is could be k through 12 or higher ed um but that that's what i focus on is the those those stories of the people who are developing these technologies and what they're doing what their product gives to you know to the market to the institution to education um, so we have a conversation about that throughout the podcast. So what really I want the guests to take away is that they have some sort of thing they can like go explore, um, you know, whether that's like a yellow dig or a goose chase, something that they can take with them and be like, oh, I'd maybe just look further into it. So that's about the podcast and reaching out to me. I'm all over LinkedIn all the time. So I awesome. post constantly on LinkedIn. I think that's the best way to contact me. Um, and if I'm always open to new guests. Like we have a lot of great guests coming up on the show. Um, recently, I went into a bi-weekly format, but starting in January with season two, I'm going into a, a weekly again because I have so many people that want to be on the show. So if anybody in ed tech wants to come on, they just reach out to me through LinkedIn, which is Holly Owens, and it has ABD at the end of my name until it says Dr. Owens. Um, that's Love the best it. way to get in contact with me. 
Oh, well, thank you so much for being here and uh, such a great conversation and so eye-opening about synergies around all of these issues, all of these uh, challenges and also exciting, exciting things and as yeah. we disrupt education and, and bring the future, right? Yes, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thanks so much. This has been another episode of Dissecting Education, a production of In Pursuit Research, outcomes-driven, impact-focused. What are you in pursuit of?